soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. And we pick it up tonight in chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I resolve what to do that when I... And put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into ever an everlasting home. And he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is un- also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, of course, being wealth, riches, things like that. Now, just a few weeks ago, we had the discipleship, the call to discipleship by Jesus Christ where Jesus laid claim to supremacy as Lord of all in everything of our lives. That love for Christ needs to be supreme over human relationships, personal pursuits, and whatever you could do that come up with excuses. The rightful place for Jesus Christ is to reign in our hearts because all things are by him and of him and for him and in him all things consist, including the breath that we're breathing right now in this sanctuary. In this parable, we see he is speaking to his disciples. So we get our context. The context is not for the world. The context, which in some cases Jesus is speaking to a broader audience, but the context is to his disciples. And we have this story of this rich man and his steward. A rich man has a lot of wealth. He has outstanding accounts he needs to receive, like those of you in business understand, accounts receivable. And this guy is in charge of this. There are many stories in the Bible and examples in the Bible of people who are given stewardships over money. We think of Joseph in Egypt. He was faithful in his dad's house for Jacob. He was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in the prison. And he most certainly was faithful for Pharaoh and the saving not only of the people of Egypt in the famine, 
but his own household and family, the, the family, the house of Israel. Daniel was, of course, very faithful. He saved his people. He saved others. He could interpret the dreams. He ruled over a third of the Medo-Persian Empire. When he was offered to be, you know, third in command in the Babylonian Empire, he turned it down because he said, you know, tonight you're going to, it's over, you know, so keep your, your gold medallion there and good luck in the next 12 hours type of a thing. But Daniel was very faithful, and he didn't compromise his faith while being faithful to the Medo-Persian Empire. There's other examples of faithfulness throughout the Bible. There's also examples of unfaithfulness. We saw Achan where there when Joshua and the people invaded the land, we were told that uh, that which was Jericho's belonged to the Lord because the first fruits are always the Lord's because of him and by him and for him are all things. Whatever opens the womb is the Lord's. The Lord is the first fruit, first fruits for the Lord. And Achan saw the wealth of Jericho. He saw it, he lusted for it, he took it and he hid it. It controlled him. He buried it, and then there was sin in the camp. And of course, Joshua and the army was defeated at Ai and by a much smaller force than what they conquered in Jericho. And it was revealed later on through process of elimination by the Lord that he had taken the accursed thing. He had robbed God. Billy Graham in his 1957 crusade in Madison Square Garden said this to his audience, would you rob God? Because people do rob God. We rob him of the time he gives us, the life he gives us, the gifts he gives us, the calling he gives us, the energy he gives us, and last but certainly not least, the resources he gives us. People do rob God. Most of the planet does rob God. It's one thing to rob a man. It's quite another to rob God. Judas robbed God. He had a stewardship, right? He was in charge of the money. He was shrewd. He was in charge of the money. But he could never repent of his sin of covetousness. Perhaps he had another sin of some sort of pride and power to be in charge. He wanted to be in charge of the money. Even the, when the woman came, Mary, and broke the alabaster, he said, this could have been given to the poor. But he said this not because he cared about the poor, but he was a thief, and he stole the money. He robbed God while serving with God. Very sobering. You know, in the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation, it says something very interesting. It's, it says that him who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still, but him who is just, let him be just still. In eternity, in the end of the age, whatever was is set, and it's not changing. It's a sobering thought when we think about the dimension of choice by which we all sit here tonight. An account was required, verse 2, give an account of your stewardship. And so tonight we're going to consider the accounts of stewardship, both favorable and disfavorable, that the Bible has for us, and there's people that we can think of as well. We all have stewardships of some sort, and if we think of our stewardships being created by God and for God, whether you're born again of the Holy Spirit tonight or not, you have a stewardship of your life from the Creator, and there certainly will be an accountability for that on the day of Christ Jesus. As Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade all men to repent and trust in Jesus. For to be absent from the body is to come before the Lord, and for those in faith it's to be with the Lord. There's an account coming, and when the account comes, no one's going to stand with us. We will stand by ourselves. It's a sobering thought. I will stand alone. You cannot stand for me when I stand before Jesus Christ, nor can I stand for you. Each of us 
will give an account for our lives and what we did with it. Each of us will give an account for our management of time, the gifts, the driving forces and passions of our lives, what moved us, what led us, the resources that came our way, whether we felt that God gave them to us or we manufactured them through wit and wisdom. We will all give an account. Tonight is good for us on October 6, 2018 to reflect and consider the reality, beginning with myself as the pastor of this church, that we will all give an account before God for the stewardship of our life and management of the resources of our life. And I've said many times, time to me is the most valuable resource we have. The Bible puts such a premium on time. What are the days of man? 80 by years or by 80 years or by measure of strength? 90, Moses said in the Psalms. We have today. And as you get older, you know that time is, is slipping and there's less time. When you're young, you often do not value time, but you value your energy and uh, wealth and resources because you're in the front end of the journey and you're, you're strong and you're beautiful and you're able to make things happen and you're smart and the whole world's before you until something rocks your world that reveals to you the mortality of us all, which inevitably happens and usually certainly before you're 30. But the early on, it's, you seem you have endless time and you have energy and you build wealth. But as you get older, what you find is you're losing time and therefore time takes on greater value. And when Paul writes to Ephesians and says to redeem the time for the days are evil, those types of passages take on greater value. When you read Ecclesiastes 3.1 that there's a time to be born and a time to die and it's appointed under the, you know, the seasons of life, all things for men. When you're young, it's, a bird, it's the bird song in the 60s. You know, the birds sang that to everything, turn, turn. And it's just a song that hippies sing when they're happy and it's, everything's free and there's no accountability. But now they're all older and they're worried about their estates and their trust. Everything just seems so light early on in life with time. But the older you get, the more you realize time always wins. The grave always wins apart from Jesus Christ. And even so, how terrifying to stay down the grave with Jesus Christ, how much more fearful without the, the Lord himself to, to come and bring you through that. Time is the greatest resource I believe we're ever given. And God even says in Psalm 139 that the days were fashioned for us when as yet there was none of them. And who knows? We can all know the amount of time we lived before this day, but we cannot know the time of, that we'll live after this day. We can speculate based upon our birth year. Time. Energy. We have so much energy. In 1 John, John talked about young men, you've known the devil and you fought the devil because you're young and you're strong. When Paul wrote Timothy, he said, let no one despise your youth because he was young and he was full of vigor for the work that was involved. The priesthood was for the ages of 30 to 50 because they looked for the balance of maturity, 30, but physical strength, 50. In the Bible, over 50, you were retired from the priesthood. No longer lifting and carrying and doing the work. You are retired. It was retirement age for the priesthood. 50. Time. Energy. See what smart people do, the shrewd people of the world, when they have 
time early on and have energy, they make a ton of money, and then when, they're, when they don't have the energy, they pay someone else to do the work. Right? But that's the shrewdness of the world. Time, energy, and resources. We build up wealth. We accumulate wealth. There's the American dream. It's a dream of the world to, to be able to have a, a full belly and live in security and peace. It's a reasonable dream. God wants humanity dependent upon him to, to know that experience. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. God fed the Jews man in the wilderness for 38 years to teach them that he's their sustainer. And that the real need is not physical, but always spiritual. The woman at the well, we need water. Uh, we have the drive for water. But Jesus said, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. So we can dig wells for poor people in other countries and give them fresh water. In the, in the name of humanity... In the name of Mystery Babylon, or we can dig wells and give people fresh water in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the living water. That is a distinction of people who dig wells around the world these days. Some people give clean water in the name of Mystery Babylon, one global government. That man can do it. He can govern himself without Jesus. He builds his zagarit. And that's where it's all going to end in the post-flood world. Man came together and said, we are one. And when man is one government, he cast off God's reign over their hearts individually and collectively. And we can know that Mystery Babylon returns at the end of the age with global government. And it'll all be about humanitarianism, humanitarianism and the goodness of man and love your brother and your neighbor. But it's two-dimensional and it's limited. It's black and white. It doesn't transcend time. So in the end, this planet's wealth is all going to move toward limited time, full human energy, and limited resources that will melt with a fervent heat. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us, with one objective, to have a human government devoid of God, living how they want to in a world and a universe without God. That's where the resources outside these doors are headed, WG, toward Mystery Babylon with an all-inclusive false religion, a satanically fully empowered by the devil ruled leader that will sway the world, and one who controls global commerce and all the wealth of the planet and controls what you do in time, he's coming. Jesus warned us he's coming, and the great evangelists and preachers in bygone generations, including Pastor Chuck, warned us that he's coming, and he is coming. And until he comes, we are given a stewardship for which we'll give an account for the time we live on this planet, moving toward the Tower of Babel, Mystery Babylon. And we have our chance to do our part. We have our chance to be the women and the men of faith, the young ones, the older ones. We have our chance to maximize the full fruition of the stewardship of our time, our energy, and our resources for the glory of Jesus Christ. But even as that unfaithful steward had to give an account of his stewardship to his worldly boss, so too, absolutely, this passage and others like it tell us we will give an account to the Lord for our stewardship of time, energy, and resources. What we did with Jesus Christ. Did we obey the gospel? And did we, upon obeying the gospel, truly give ourselves to the call of God in Christ Jesus? We're going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. You're going to give an account. And there's some lessons to be learned from what this unjust master 
imposed upon his unfaithful steward. There's a lesson there. And then there's other things to learn from as we think about the day of our accountability. In this parable, what gets my attention. Now, from this parable, Jesus said, I say to you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon. In other words, if you're going to live for the world, then you better live all in for the world. And make sure the world takes care of you. Because there's no ambiguity with God. There's light and darkness. There's no middle ground. Either you're going to serve God or you're going to serve man. And you can't serve two masters. That's where this whole parable goes. I think we know people like this uh, unfaithful steward. When you work somewhere and you know people are going to get let go. It's human nature to try and get your resume out there. You don't like your job. Float your resume. Try and get someone else looking at you. That's kind of common sense in a lot of ways. But it's not unusual for people in a business that's collapsing to recognize it's collapsing to unload stock because they have insider information and then leverage themselves with other people they can shift across horizontally, horizontally toward with that information and use it. For example, in NFL football, it is not uncommon for assistant coaches when they leave one uh, NFL team to go to another and have the playbook information and use it against other teams. This was brought up even recently when Bill Belichick's former defensive coordinator, now the coach of the Lions, uh, beat the Patriots on Monday Night TV a couple weeks ago, and no one knows that team better than the coach that had been there for years. It's not unusual or necessarily bad to like, leverage a current situation that you know of to, that's going to collapse to try and move to something more favorable. I think that's human nature in many ways. But in this case, this unjust steward, this unfaithful steward, he asks a question that we should all ask when we think about our life and our accountability before the Lord if we're not where we want to be on that accountability. Let's just say tonight we're all going to give an account to the Lord. Some of us are going to feel better about our accountability to the Lord with our time, energy, and resources than others. If it were tonight, would you want to change something? Would you want to change the driving passions of your life? Would you want to change the decisions of your lifestyle, your free time? Would you want to change your entertainment? Would we want to change relationships that are bad influences for ones that are good influences? You know, eternity and the reality of uh, stepping from dimension to this dimension to the eternal dimension, they do sober us up. Death has a sobering element, and death brings the accountability to God. And this unjust steward, this unfaithful steward, he asks a question that gets my attention. What shall I do? We have to think about that. He says, and Jesus is teaching this parable, about accountability for stewardship, recognizing that he's not in a good position for accountability for stewardship, that he has mismanaged and mishandled his assets and resources of his position, abused them, or even been corrupt with them. He says a good question. What shall I do? And that's a good question for all of us. What shall I do? on the sense of our accountability of stewardship for time and energy and resources for the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom and of whom and through whom are all things, if we're not feeling comfortable and confident of how his lordship might be over our life, we, like this unjust steward, should say, what shall I do? 
because that brings a, a cognitive sense of that things aren't right. Accountability is coming. And what must I do to be right? So if we're unsaved tonight and you're getting given account to the Lord tonight, I'd say you must repent and you must turn from sin. You must recognize that your sin is rebellion to God. And it's contrary to his character and everything in his coming kingdom. And that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And that's what the answer to what must I do for mishandling the stewardship of my life, devoid of faith in God, is you must repent and pass from death to life and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what we must do. We must pass from death to life. We're either alive to get saved or to fulfill our calling. What must I do? What shall I do? That question should get us thinking about our lives. And then we see in verse 4, he says, I have resolved what to do. Okay, so if we're honest before the Lord and candid before the Lord and the Holy Spirit, search me, O God, try me, see me, know me, David, Psalm 139. And we have the Lord point things out to us about our stewardship of time and energy and resources with him and the sense of stewardship for those things. And we ask, what shall I do? And then we resolve to do something. This is what I'll do. So this unjust steward, he says, uh, I'm going to call everyone and I'm going I'm to collect debt. I'm going to settle these debts. I'm going to apply shrewd business tactics to generate revenue where these assets are essentially lost. Like a collection agency, right? I mean, collection agencies, when collection agencies come after people, most people can settle with a collection agency for much less than what they're looking for. Because what do we learn? Part of something is better than all of nothing. When debt goes to collection agency, it's all of nothing. It's like I've been helping my sister settle her debts from being on the streets for five years, and I call her creditors, and I say, you're looking for this much, and I will offer you this much. You can take all this now within the next 30 days, agree to these terms, and we'll pay that off from my dad's estate. Or you can receive $25 a month from her for the next 10 years. But bear in mind, she's been sober for one year. And she's on the streets for five years. We'll happily settle that account for that amount. That's the response they give every time. God will settle your debt. He'll settle our debt happily with just repentance. If we're in debt to God from robbing God of time, energy, and resources, he will settle through the blood and through forgiveness. He will settle through the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want us living like we're indebted to him because we've not turned from our sin or we're in bondage to our sin. He will settle. He'll make it all clear. He wants to wash that clear. He wants to restore good credit before the kingdom. But you never had good credit because you were born in Adam and Adam all sin and die, as was I, as we all are. But this shrewd, this shrewd steward, he's leveraging himself He's applying something. It's worldly, but it's a plan. Listening to Alex's study from Genesis 32 on the life of Jacob, he brought up how Jacob was such a shrewd guy. He was. He had a plan. I always say Jacob had, I mean, he's the old, he had plans, man. That guy had plans. I was laughing out loud when I was listening to Alex's study because that's just how it is. Listen. We don't want to stumble blindly or desensitize to reality into the day of accountability of our stewardship before the Lord. We want to ask, what shall I do? 
I will resolve to do something and I will make something happen. And in our case, it's repentance and faith and obedience. And verse 6 even said, sit down quickly and write 50. You notice there's an urgency, right? Notice in the story, there's an urgency from this unjust steward for his accountability. He's like, hey, do it quickly. I'll settle right now. 50 on the dollar. Let's, let's make this happen. And look what it says. The master commended him. There are actions of this servant. And that's my key thought here on this first point are the actions of the servant. He took action. He asked the right question. What shall I do? He resolved to take action and he made things happen and he did it with urgency. And from this unjust owner, master, he was commended because he dealt shrewdly. So if we apply this in a positive off this negative, Would not the Lord honor in our lives us asking ourselves, what shall I do to make things right with the Lord in failed stewardship? You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.